The following has been brought to you by SJP World Media. You people, you know who I am. But you don't know why I'm here. It's time for the wrestling event, Clash of the Champions. The ultimate tag team collision. Ricky the Dragon Steamboat and Sting. Ravishing Rick Rude and Stunning Steve. Plus, Metal Madness, Bad Hammer, Cactus Chat. It's an old-fashioned free-for-all. Clash of the Champions. Live, 8.05 Eastern, Tuesday night on TBS. This is where the big boys play, huh? Look at the adjective, play. CW Monday Nitro, where the big boys play every Monday night at 8 on TNT. Hello and welcome to a special bonus episode of Nitro Nights, an SJP World Media production. My name is Sai, and joining me as always for your special bonus episode is the Wrestling Encyclopedia himself. I mean, you can get the merch now. There's a t-shirt out there. Buy it, buy it, buy it. Scottish Danny, how are we doing, my friend? I'm doing really well, thank you, Sai. How's yourself? Good, mate. Good. Looking forward to talking a little bit of earlier WCW with you than our normal run. Uh, a little bit of background info for people listening. Maybe this is the first time you've heard the show. Nitro Nights, uh, we start, well, we started with the very first episode of Monday Nitro, and we're going show by show by show in order, covering all the Clash of Champions, the Thunders, Nitros, pay-per-views right the way through that era, the Monday Night War era, I guess, until the company shut in 2001. But we missed a week, Danny, didn't we? Because I'm incredibly busy and badly organized. So we missed a week. So as we have done on the one previous occasion where an episode came out late, we decided to give everyone a bonus show by way of apology, mate, didn't we? Yeah, we did. And I really enjoyed that. Um, And we're going back to 1992 this week, aren't we, sir? We are. We are. Like with our only other previous bonus show, we decided to look at WCW that we're not going to cover in our normal timeline with Nitro Nights. So Danny selected a show for our last bonus episode. Uh, I selected this one. And we are heading back to Clash of the Champions 18, which first aired on the 21st of January, 1992. And I think it's a real, it's almost like a little wrestling time capsule. It's a, it's a, time, it's a, it's a real sort of snippet of, of that era, I believe, in WCW, Danny. 
Yeah, it definitely is. I mean, we were just saying just um, before we pressed record, there, there's a lot of characters in this that we're going to get into and definitely one in particular that I was really enamoured with. So um, I'm looking forward to it, mate. I'm going to be intrigued to find out who that is. <laughs> uh, this Clash of the Champions event is very much, I suppose, in Dangerous Alliance era. Uh, the Dangerous Alliance were a faction I'm incredibly fond of. They were full of very, very talented wrestlers. And they uh, they didn't last very long, 18 months tops maybe, but they put on some fantastic matches in their time. And during that era as well, they effectively were full of the best heel talent in ring that WCW had to offer, I think. But we'll come to the Dangerous Alliance later on because they dominate effectively the top end of the card. Uh, and the opener to this event here, a clash of champions 18 which is on the wwe network if anyone wants to go back and watch it we have a tag team match danny don't we and tag matches seem to dominate this show i think yeah it definitely does i made a note here saying teddy long would be in heaven if he uh, was in this show <laughs> <laughs> but yeah um a very surprising name uh in this in an opener like this is uh vader because i always assumed that he was always at the top of the card always in the main events and things like that before he made the uh, jump to wwf so i was quite shocked to see that the majority of his run in wcw he was top of the card yes uh he obviously world title reigns in 92 and 93 and so on but every now and again they would try other things but vader was such a dominant i suppose character and he drew great heat the, the fans even cheered like mad because they loved him and he because he was so big and powerful all majority of the time depending on who he was against for example his, his great uh, angle with sting they, they boom out the building so he always got a reaction the same can't be said, I think, of his tag team partner here. And I think this is a really odd combo. It's almost like which one of these is not like the others, because we have the Steiners, who are you know, legit stars. We have Vader, who is a legit star. But Vader's teaming with Mr. Hughes here, Danny. Do you know Mr. Hughes very well at all? No, I think I've seen him in a few gifts with uh, Mr. Perfect. But um, apart from that, no, I've never seen Mr. Hughes. Mm. yeah he, he wrestled in wwf a little while after this king of the ring 93 i think he was part of that kind of era of wwf there mm. i've never been a massive fan i think he falls into the category of he's just a big bloke so he kind of ended up in the wrestling world but when you look at the other three competitors in this match you know rick and scott and vader he doesn't seem of the same level to me yeah i can see that point yeah, I mean, how, how did you find this opener, though? I mean, Mr. Hughes aside, he, uh, to me, he is the weak link out of the four. But how did you find this opener? Because I mean, I, I'm a massive Steiners fan, as you know, and we're seeing some great stuff from the Steiners on our regular shows out every Thursday on the SJP World Media Network. But this is a couple of years previous. How did you find this? I really enjoyed this match. Um, I did make a note that um, the MVP of this whole match was actually Harley Race's uh, performance as a manager because um, he actually stole the show. But no, in a serious note, I actually really enjoyed this. Um, the Steiner brothers were much more fluid, I found, than they were in 1996. Um, okay. Yeah, yeah, really, really enjoyable bout. I, didn't, I never get tired of seeing the Steiners and specifically Scott Steiner throwing people around mm. i mean there's some of the suplexes that scott steiner here hits on the massive mr hughes and on vader as well it's just incredible to be seen i mean there's also a uh, a backdrop 
by Rick Steiner on Mr. Hughes, where he goes, he goes crazy high. He takes almost a, a Mr. Perfect kind of backdrop bump. It's ridiculously high in the air. I, I really enjoyed this. But again, I suppose I'm a bit of a Steiner's mark. So, you know, it is what it is. We got a really cool spot as well, where both the Steiners are thrown to the outside and they climb to the top rope and both come off the top rope at the same time to close on their opponents. That looked impressive because even though stood next to Vader and Mr. Hughes, Scott and Rick Steiner, well, obviously they're much, they're much thinner guys and they look smaller compared to these other two. They're still massive, massive men. So flying off the top rope together, like that, I think looked really, really impressive. Oh yeah, definitely. It's just it's something that the crowd just um, was amazed by as well. Mm, yeah, I mean a really good tag opener. I, think. I mean the finish ultimately comes when uh, Hughes hits Vader by accident, and then Rick Steiner hits that really impressive bulldog from the top rope uh, to to win the match one two three there. But again, I think as a, as far as an opener goes, you've got a team that the fans can boo and obviously dislike. You've got a team in the Steiners that the fans are desperate to get behind. There was lots of impressive action. Gets people off their seats. And I think as an opener, it ticked all the boxes it needed to, Danny. Yeah, it certainly did, mate. But there's just one it didn't for me. And I made a note about this and meant to uh, ask you a question about it. Is okay. wrestlers kicking out after the free count immediately. What do you think about it? I think with a lot of, a lot of things in wrestling, it depends upon the context as to when it's done. Mm. I think that here I didn't really have a massive issue with it, but there have been other times. I mean, uh, a guy that we we dig at a lot on Nitro Nights um, from '95 onwards. I mean, we're now mid '96, aren't we, nearly? So it is as obviously Hulk Hogan. The one that stands out to me with Hogan is whenever he had to drop a championship. Well, Ultimate Warrior, perfect example. WrestleMania six, he takes the Warriors finish and makes sure he kicks out at like three point one. <laughs> you know, just to make sure that it was a case of, oh, you just got me rather than he was beaten, you know, convincingly or whatever. Yeah. In that, in that kind of scenario, I'm not a fan of it. In that scenario there, the main event of a pay-per-view, you're, you're, yeah. you're putting over the guy who is in theory going to carry the company for the next 12 months whilst, you know, Hogan disappears for a bit. I'm not a fan of that because it, you should do all you can to put the new guy over to, to make him look strong. Because he is going to be the, the 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 flag bearer for the next however long it may well be. Here in an opening tag match, I've not got a massive issue with it. I suppose it depends on context for me, Danny. Really, yeah, I totally understand, mate. Okay, uh, our next match is another tag team match, and it's a bit of a strange combination again on the heel side of things. We have Young Pistol Tracy who is Tracy Smothers, formerly a part of the Young Pistols tag team and, and so on. Uh, his partner, by this point, had been released by the company, so he was trying to you know, play his trade as a singles wrestler using the same gimmick. And he was tagging with the tailor-made man, Terry Taylor. Terry Taylor had just left the York Foundation, which was a stable in the early 90s where uh, the wrestlers were, you know, had their names changed and were made to be much more, I suppose, presentable. I mean, Terry Taylor started wearing these suits to the ring. Uh, we have Ricky Morton from the Rock and Roll Express was referred to as um, Robert Morton or, or whatever it may well be. Uh, and you had Terry Runnels, 
stood on the outside who was at the time uh, she started her career as a makeup girl for wcw actually do, doing people's makeup and so on and then it was you know, decided wow she's gorgeous let's get her on television so she fell into this gimmick where she would have a very clunky old school looking laptop and her computer skills would help her uh, her hires i guess the wrestlers that she's managing her computer skills and analysis via this laptop would give them game plans and so on to go and win the matches and it was it wasn't it wasn't great to be fair but taylor made man was being dubbed as the wrestler for the 90s because of this computer technology he had backing him and so on by this point the york uh the york foundation's done and dusted so we have both guys here tracy and terry taylor sort of going out and trying to find a footing in the company i guess and they're facing a very young babyface side of flying brian pillman and marcus bagwell uh danny how did you find these and are you familiar with what well, we know bagwell and pillman but are you familiar with all of these guys in these in these kind of characters they're portraying at this time no i certainly wasn't and i'm really happy to hear about the um york foundation i'm gonna have to google them after because i this was the first time I'd seen Terry Runnels outside of the WWF. I always thought she just made her wrestling debut in the WWF. So I'm, ex- I'm happy to um, learn the knowledge from you, side today. Oh, yeah, well, no worries, mate. No worries. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, she, yeah uh, um, she was a makeup, like I said, she was a makeup lady. And uh, I, I think it was to do with her relationship with Dustin Rhodes. But she also had a relationship with Pillman at the time as well. Ended up getting involved in the wrestling business. Uh, um, from being backstage and so on so yeah it's a funny way to sort of drop into the business i guess now you say dustin rose yeah that makes a lot of sense yeah um um yeah but in terms of the other two wrestlers it's like no I, i've not really seen much of terry taylor or young pistol tracy tracy's mothers so i was excited this whole match was very entertaining it was very fast paced wasn't it oh yeah i mean that's one of the notes i've got here this is ridiculously quick um the i suppose I suppose, again, it does what it needs to do. The The babyface team of Pillman and Bagwell are both young, fresh-faced, good-looking lads. Um, they're very exciting to watch in the ring. Lots of drop kicks and double-team moves and aerial moves and so on. The crowd are really into them. Um, it, it does what it needs to do, again, I think. I mean, Also, in case you weren't aware, Brian Pillman used to play for the Bengals in the NFL. And Marcus Bagwell is a rookie. Um, in case you forgot any of that, JR will remind you every 30 fucking seconds. <laughs> I, I noticed that as well. It was like he just the whole night he was just going on and on, wasn't he? <laughs> yes, indeed, indeed. But still, it's just great here in Ross, I guess. Uh, we have a few spots that I really enjoyed. I mean, Brian Pillman is at one point suplexed from inside the ring to outside to the floor, which I thought was quite spectacular. There's a nice gut wrench power bomb by Terry Taylor. I'm not one for giving Terry Taylor many compliments, but credit where it's due. This gut wrench power bomb was very good. Eventually, after the heels have controlled the match for a while, uh, Brian, Flying Brian, gets the hot tag, and they kind of mess up a backdrop a little bit, and they nearly get hurt. Uh, well, Tracy nearly gets hurt. But then we have a very odd finish where Flying Brian drop kicks Taylor, who then bumps into Tracy for Bagwell to hit a sunset flip for the three count. It was almost like a domino effect with, with six foot tall blokes, Danny, wasn't it? <laughs> it was, yeah, it was very clunky. But um, the note I made on this was very, the very, 
weird and offensive line from Tony Schiavone, who says, I've always thought that Taylor was the most underrated superstar that we have. Right. <laughs> I couldn't believe that line. Terry Taylor underrated? I don't know. What do you think, Si? Mm, I, I don't. I don't really have an opinion that 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 would be you know that strong on Terry Taylor either way, which I suppose mm. my my indifference to him, I suppose would show that he's never really done anything of importance in my eyes. Maybe <laughs> that uh, makes sense. In ring, I'm not, I'm not a massive fan of what he does. There's nothing that really stands out to me. But again, nothing particularly offensive either. Um, the Red Rooster gimmick was pretty silly let's be honest but from yeah. the, if, if you had to believe the stories were told he didn't fully throw himself into that gimmick so i mean if you kind of need to just run with what you're given in the wwf especially at that point they're a money-making machine and he felt he was maybe bigger than that scenario uh in wcw in later years he wasn't a particularly um positive influence backstage shall we say so, yeah, I'm not a massive fan of Terry Taylor, to be fair, my friend. Yeah, I get that, mate. I get that. After we have had this match, however, and we see flying Brian Pillman, who is being spoke about in the same breath as uh, Ricky Morton and Jushin Thunder Liger and so on for the WCW Light Heavyweight Championship, as it is called at this point, we have a video package hyping up. Jushin Liger, who is now the WCW Light Heavyweight Champion. He won this uh, very recently. We get our ma- well, we get a match next that is supposedly in the Light Heavyweight division. And it's supposed to dictate who is going to get closer to a title shot because we have Super Brawl, the next WCW pay-per-view coming up the following month. And Liger is going to defend the championship there, but who against we're still to decide. So here we have a match between Ricky Morton, formerly of the Rock and Roll Express, here still playing the heel gimmick he did when he was in the York Foundation, which never really worked for me. I mean, Morton as a singles wrestler and Morton as a heel is just weird for me as a fan of you know old-school tag wrestling and so on. And his opponent is renowned lightweight Johnny B. Bad, who weighs <laughs> 235 pounds. Just to put that into context, in 1992... Bret Hart would win his first world title in the WWF. He weighed 234 pounds, which was one pound lighter than supposed cruiserweight or light heavyweight Johnny B. Bad at 235. Oh, dear me. Amazing. Absolutely amazing. <laughs> and he doesn't even look like a... I mean, Ricky Morton looks like a, a cruiserweight or a light heavyweight. Flying Brian to Liger as well is renowned for being in that weight class. And obviously it's wrestling, so they can move their brackets around, change their weight limits to do whatever they want to do. But the guy's 235 pounds. That's like 16 and a half, 17 stone. Okay. And it's, and it's all muscle as well. The guy is put together. Yeah. But when you look, say across uh, at the professional wrestling world and you check out what constitutes a cruiserweight or a light heavyweight and so on, in, in the wrestling, in, in the boxing world, by a comparison, it's about 60 pounds lighter is the cutoff. It's just, the guy is not a cruiserweight or a light heavyweight. He should not be in this match, in my opinion, Danny. 
No, no, I fully agree with that because as soon as he came out to the ring, you could just tell. Uh, that's the first question I had on my notes was, why is he in the cruiserweight like heavyweight division? Because he's all solid muscle here. And it's like he'd have a very hard time flying about. As uh, That's what I thought until we got mm. into the match. Yeah, well, well talk us through your, 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 you know, your favourite points of this match. I mean, to me, there's not really much to it. I did notice that Morton hit um, Johnny B. Bad with an amazing atomic drop. And I thought I had to write that down because uh, bad selling of the move was actually really funny. <laughs> um, other than that, um, I did write it, the match was a bit too short for my liking, because, but I felt um, this felt like a TV match, didn't it? Mm. I mean, to be fair, it's a TV show. Clash oh, yeah. of Champions yeah. was, never, was never a pay-per-view. And Clash of the Champions, you would normally find... They they would be broadcast on like a Tuesday night, I think. I'm pretty certain this one was broadcast on a Tuesday. And it would be a two-hour special, but you know, obviously they removed the adverts on the network. And the sole purpose of Clash of the Champions events was to put on no, no real squash matches. So you're not having any enhancement talents on the show. You're getting names all over the place to make big announcements and mm. and kind of just be the big hype build for the following pay-per-view, which was Super Bowl 2 in, in, in February of 92. So that's kind of what a lot of this pay-per-view is aimed at, building towards the next pay-per-view. Sorry, a lot of this Clash of Champions event, sorry, is aimed at, is building towards the next pay-per-view, which is kind of what they were used for a great deal. So yeah. you know, this, this whole light heavyweight thing is building towards who's going to face Liger at the pay-per-view. I thought the finish yeah. here was just awful. Yeah. It came out of nowhere, absolutely nowhere. I mean, uh, Morton goes for a crossbody press and then Bad just hits him and, and then gets a one-two, just rolls him into a one-two-three. It was just like... but It looked like crap. Thing, yeah, it looked really bad. But the thing is, um, it's like a modern trope of wrestling is like, okay, we'll get a quick match there. We're, they're only really, the main goal of them being out there is for a promo segment after the match. And we got one hell of a one here, didn't we? Well, yes. Uh, we had Pillman out and he was talking a, a great deal. Whilst Johnny B. Baz, I, I, I thought it started off annoying, but the more yeah. it went on, the more it actually made me laugh. Johnny B. Bad was desperate to get his say in. Whereas Pillman's ranting about Liger and Johnny Bad sticking the fake uh, sort of lips stickers he has on Eric Bischoff's face. And he keeps smiling and pulling faces at the camera. And initially it started off just stupid and was irritating. But by the end of it, I'm thinking this bloke is hysterical. He's making all the, um, the most of his screen time here. Oh, yes, definitely. And then Pillman ends up just giving him a bit of a slap. <laughs> that was the best part of it. <laughs> He proper clocked him, didn't he? That's that, that noise. Oh. Definitely. I mean, no wonder he didn't change his gimmick for the next four years. <laughs> <laughs> uh, next up is a real odd contest for me. Again, I think it's mm. just a case of trying to get people on the television, maybe. Uh, we have Diamond Dallas Page, who is still trying to find a character. Trying to, you know, He's not dropped into the Page character that we, we know and love in several years' time. He's wearing a real odd... If you imagine, for people listening, if you imagine Diesel in the WWF with the black 
long trousers and wrestling sort of top half and tassels all the way down the legs. But add to that some kind of Bret Hart-esque pink and almost leopard print as well. That's kind of what Diamond Dallas Page is wearing here. And I don't think it's as bad as what he's wearing when we catch up with him again in 1995, Danny. No, I actually fully agree with that because um, I also made a note here, wherever uh, Johnny V. Bad is, DDP isn't far behind, is he? (laughs) Oh, yeah. (laughs) Very true, very true. Uh, His opponent on this evening, Diamond Dallas Page, he is facing PN News. Now, I'm going to be... I'm so interested to know your opinions here on PN News, Danny. So this, at the beginning of the show, I said one character really stood out to me. This was PN News. I had never seen this character, never heard about him. And I bloody love this character, so I have to say. Um, he's now become one of my favourite wrestlers. <laughs> After this recording, I'm going to actually go down a rabbit hole and see uh, what um, what matches I can find of him. Was he around long? Uh, he was about for a little while, yes. Wrestled under a few different similar names as well. But yeah, it, I'm not a fan, mate. I'm <laughs> You're not, not a, a fan, fan of the rapping gimmick. <laughs> no, well, I don't think just rhyming is rapping, to be fair. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I've, uh, it's almost like he there's certain words thrown in just so he could rhyme with them that make no sense to what he's trying to say. Uh, I, I guess it's... To me, it feels, again, a little bit like someone we're going to see in the next match, uh, Van Hammer. It feels mm-hmm. to me like the WCW committee, uh, Booker's, Dusty Rhodes, if he's still involved at this point. It feels to me like they're all sat around going, what what will really sort of, a, you know, sync with the kids? What, what, will the, what will the youngsters get on board with? Oh, look, there's that guy, Vanilla Ice, on TV. Let's get a rapper. <laughs> You know, or oh look, they like rock music, but obviously by '92, Nirvana's hit, grunge's hit. That's the big thing in, in rock and metal at that point in in the world, grunge. So they go to this rock star gimmick, this guitar playing gimmick, and in typical WSW, the same with PNU's rap gimmick. The intention is correct; they just get it so wrong. Yeah. I can see that as well, but I mean, I really enjoyed his um, and just everything he did, the little dance, the little rap. Um, but yeah, you're spot on about them being completely out of date because it was like, oh, just, uh, it's very dated. I mean, um, mm. it reminded me of, do you remember Men on the Mission in WWF? Yes, I do. Yeah, yeah, but I think they can rap a little bit better than PN News. <laughs> yeah, but um, I think he would have had a future if he fit in uh, with the men on the mission at that point because it's just like very, he's dressed very loudly, um, the colours are just everywhere. And um, yeah, this uh, in terms of the match itself, um, I would have to say this is the worst match I've ever seen DDP in. <laughs> okay <laughs> but, I mean he, he's probably having a bad night I mean I can't excuse PN News in ring ability because um, I don't know how good of a wrestler he was or, or anything like that but yeah um, the, it wasn't much of a match was it no I mean to be fair cre- again credit where it's due I'm not a fan of PN News but it's a drop kick in this match and for a guy his size yep. that's, that's quite impressive uh, and then DDP tries a body slam but just falls backwards and literally the, the, the word I've got written here is splat. Cause that's kind of what happens. <laughs> uh, PN news then hits a fairly decent looking belly to belly. Cause again, his size dictates that that, that move is going to be fairly impressive. And we get what is called the rap master splash, which is um, effectively 
PN News falling from the top rope onto his opponent and getting a three count. And that was kind of it, I think. Yeah, it was kind of that's definitely just echoing about the worst DDP match I've ever seen. I mean, just ah, oh, just yeah, just unfortunately. Mm. But um, I mean, it did its job, didn't it? It just got PN News over. Um, I think they were more interested in PN News than DDP at this point. Yeah, I think so. I think so. Uh, we return from a break to be greeted by Tony Schiavone, and he is in the ring with some WCW officials and Kit Frey, who is in charge for a short period at this time. And he is announcing, first of all, the title match, which will headline the next pay-per-view at Super Brawl, and it will be the world champion Lex Luger, who's not actually on this card, defending his world championship against Sting. And that gets a great reaction from the crowd because sting is so over in 92 it is insane he also announces jesse the body ventura who then comes to the ring and jesse ventura is going to be joining the commentary team for super brawl but you know sort of jumps the gun a little bit and actually joins for the main event of this show which we'll get to in a few moments time uh what did you think of this whole segment here because we also had a video message from luger where he was blatantly reading an auto cue. You could see the guy's eyes <laughs> moving back and forth like he was watching a tennis match on television. It and then Stick responds and jumps in the ring and, and waves his arms around for a bit. The crowd go wild. This whole segment here, Danny, how did you find this? I really enjoyed this because um, there's an old saying that says, if you want to be a star, you have to dress like a star. And Jesse Ventura absolutely came out looking like a star, didn't he? He actually looked more of a star, I wrote down, than Sting. Oh, I don't know about that. That is a big <laughs> show. I love, was... I love Surfer Sting. I love this era of Sting because this is 92, the Dangerous Alliance, Sting and Wyndham and all that. That is my era of WCW. This is mm. what I was watching on ITV television here in the UK when we'd have WCW worldwide on in the afternoons and so on. This is my era of WCW that started me off. So yeah, Sting is my guy. Oh, yeah, I, I completely apologise on that. <laughs> I know, don't apologise, mate. That's but, what makes the show great. Yeah, opinions no, can't. yeah, no, but I'll just write down, Jesse Ventura just absolutely looked like he was about to walk into the main event himself <laughs> because um, I believe at this point he was retired, wasn't he? Yes, he was, yes. He had retired yep. from in-ring competition. And obviously, he's around WWE for a little while. Uh, he then goes back to the WWF in the later 90s. And he referees a match, I believe, at SummerSlam 98, yep. was it, Danny? Uh, yeah. 99. Yep. 99, sorry, yes. And, um, yeah, and he, he's knocking about for a bit. And obviously, he goes off and does his TV shows and his uh, governorship, I suppose, is the term. But there we go. <laughs> yeah. But, um, yeah, uh, to me, he just absolutely looked tremendous. And, um yeah. He actually looked like he was ready for another run. Right. Okay. Well, that could have been interesting. Ventura in 92 in ring, you know, <laughs> that would have been, well, it can't have been bad as peer news, but there we go. Um, <laughs> <laughs> up next, we have a falls count anywhere match because why the hell not? And it, we have Cactus Jack, a very young and much slimmer looking Mick Foley. And he is facing the aforementioned Van Hammer who comes out with his uh, flying V guitar, um, which is, I suppose, very Megadeth-esque, which you know fits in roughly with 1992. Megadeth were releasing some good stuff in the early 90s. 
but he's dressed like an extra from a poison video or maybe he's <laughs> some kind of backing dancer in a motley crew uh, film or something i don't know which does not fit in with 1992 whatsoever i mean even kiss had took the makeup off and flattened their hair by this stage crying out loud <laughs> but van hammer comes out dressed in full uh glam hair metal uh get up but the in- the intros are quite good the, the fireworks going off are quite good. Van Hammer shoots fireworks at the top of his guitar and then actually shoots something else at the end of his guitar into Cactus Jack's face and then runs down the ramp and does a flying crossbody over the top rope into the ring. And I was like, whoa, maybe I've misjudged Van Hammer because that was awesome. That really was good. I, I hate to admit it, but that really was cool. I mean, he had more energy in this match than I've ever seen in a, any Van Hammer match. Um, you make a great point about um, Kiss just uh, flattening their hair and taking the makeup off at this point. Um, it's like, could Van Hammer fit it into Kiss? No. no but also also wrote um no wrestler reminds me of randy duran robinson more than uh, van hammer have you seen the wrestler the film i have i have i think i think randy the ram is probably a better worker than van hammer (laughs) yes (laughs) (laughs) but uh, again it seems to be a line i'm using quite a bit on, on this bonus show of ours here danny credit where it's due i enjoyed this as daft yeah. as certain moments were, and as unnecessary, I think, as, as, as certain moments were, I enjoyed this. We had, like I said, the good start with Van Hammer doing the flying cross body and so on. Uh, Cactus Jack ends up clotheslining them both. Well, clotheslining Van Hammer, so they both then tip out, out of the ring. He then does his usual uh, Cactus Jack crazy spots where he removes the crash mats on the outside. There's a sunset flip onto the concrete. I mean, this is just... It's ridiculously oh, bad. That was um, bad. Yeah, Van that was, Hammer. Um, oh, that was terrible. I have to say. I mean, that that it didn't take me out of the match, but it, it was close to it. It was not pleasant, was it? Uh, Van Hammer also hits a power slam on Cactus Jack on the ramp, and the noise there was almost as bad. Yeah, uh, Cactus Jack at one stage jumps off the ramp to the floor. So again, that's a drop onto concrete and we get another terrible noise when he hits the ground. Then they fight through the curtain and head towards the back, which nowadays in Falls Count Anywhere matches and so on, the crowd enjoy because you don't know what's going to happen. Here, the live crowd are actively booing the fact that these guys have gone through the curtain. And I thought about it afterwards. There's no big screens in that arena. There's no (laughs) titletrons or anything like that. So they don't see the end of the match. Oh, yeah. Now you say it like that, actually. Yeah, no, I was wondering why they were booing. But yeah, you're actually right. There's nothing they can... There's no smartphones at this point. There's no internet. There's <laughs> like nothing. Yeah, that makes sense. So, yeah, there you go. That's probably why they were booing. Uh, but again, the, the silliness continues. Um, they're fighting through a car park. Then they're fighting through what looks like some sort of cattle storage area. And this is where it gets really silly. First of all, Missy Hyatt turns up and she is so annoying. She's mm. yelling, do something, do something, Nick, do something at <laughs> Nick Patrick, the referee. And it's just like, it's force count anywhere. The wrestlers can do what they want. Shut up. If you don't like it, go away. Then Abdullah the Butcher turns up. Um, people take a little bit of a dunk in a water tank, including Missy Hyatt after the match, which I got a, a big kick out of. Uh, they, they're fighting around uh, some, I think there's supposed to be bulls or cows there, maybe. Um, Abdullah the Butcher 
hits Van Hammer with a shovel, and it's quite a nasty shot as well. That was yeah. meant for Cactus Jack. Jack wins the match, but then Abdullah the Butcher and Cactus Jack carry on fighting and taking turns in what looked a little bit like washing each other's faces. Yeah, that looked a bit odd. <laughs> um one note i made that really made me laugh i had to go back and watch it several times was at one point um mick fowler just throws a traffic cone on van hammer's head and it just made me laugh for no reason. <laughs> yeah I, mean, I i enjoyed this and again uh, yeah we we poke a lot of fun at van hammer on nitro nights but credit where it's due i, I enjoyed this match he played his part uh, i'd probably go as far as to say this is the best van hammer match we've seen so far yeah, absolutely, mate. This um, it didn't want me want me to. It didn't make me want to go and see more Van Hammer matches, but no. quite close. But yeah, it was a very good match. Yeah, yeah, I enjoyed it. I enjoyed it. Uh, we follow up with shock, horror, surprise, another tag match, Danny, and um, <laughs> we have the team of the fabulous Freebirds, who in 1992 are probably well, not probably they are that they're a bit dated now. And they're facing the odd combination of Brad Armstrong and Big Josh, who is Matt mm. Bourne playing a big kind of lumberjack gimmick. Um, this doesn't last very long. And the standout moments to me are things that just look like shit. <laughs> I, I was going to ask you about um, Big Josh. Right? Big Josh, um, I remember seeing a car boot sale. He actually had a wrestling figure released. That yep. absolutely shocked me um, because was this a memorable character? Was he around long? Uh, he was around long enough for a wrestling figure, it seems. Um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> now, Big Josh was knocking about for a while. And the thing with WCW in, in, in 92, and we'll notice it when we get into the, the, the latter matches on the card, it was very much a company trying to figure out what it was. They'd not long lost Ric Flair. The management at the top was like a revolving door with different people coming in and being in charge of booking and the committee and, and so on. They, they still had one foot in the past with the likes of the Freebirds, I guess, that we're talking about now. And Thomas Rich, who is in the next contest, who, who it was a former NWA world champion back in the very early 90s. And then they're trying to look to the future with Sting and Pillman and working with New Japan and bringing Liger over and Chono over and so on. It's almost like they don't quite know what they want to do. They don't quite know what the identity of the company is at this time. There's lots of moving parts, and it's almost like they're trying to figure themselves out, so to speak. Big yeah. Josh, Big Josh to me is part of that because Matt Bourne is a very, very talented, well, was, apologies, he passed away now, but he was a very, very talented guy. He was the original Doink McLean as well. And he's been around quite a while. He's a very good worker. Even in this match, there's a few errors, but his punches look good and, and so on. But the character of Big Josh here in 92, when you put it alongside someone like a Sting or a Vader, it looks incredibly dated. It's yeah. a very late to me to me, this is a personal, you know, thoughts anyway. To me, this is a late eighties wrestling character in nineteen ninety-two wrestling company who's trying to very much change their dynamic, change their identity into a wrestling company in the nineties. And I also think the likes of Big Josh and Brad Armstrong wrestling the Freebirds and the likes of 
I suppose, PN News uh, and DDP and all that on the show comes from an issue we have with the Dangerous Alliance. As much as I adore the Dangerous Alliance, they're one of my favorite factions of all time. What you notice in shows, it's more, so the, more so the pay-per-views and the clash events as opposed to t- the television shows because they're much shorter. But what you tend to notice is pretty much all of the really good in-ring heels are part of the Dangerous Alliance. Yeah. So the alliance at this stage is Arn Anderson, Bobby Eaton, Larry Zabisco, Ravishing Rick Rude, and Stunning Steve Austin. Now, that's a collection of talent. However, yes, of course. However, if they're all in the one stable, and that is that is probably the, like I said, they've lost Flair. So this is, you know, Luger is their world champion, so he's on a separate sort of situation. But this is the, 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 the tippy-toppy quality of their heel division. These are their best bad guys, all in one faction. So what you tend to find, or at least me personally, looking back, is you then have all the number one baby faces feuding with the Dangerous Alliance. So that's the likes of Sting, Wyndham, Dustin Rhodes, Ron Simmons, uh, Ricky Steamboat, and they're all on the other side of of this kind of uh, battle between the Alliance and, and Sting's friends. So when they're involved in well, here we have it. We have, we have a tag match and then we have a six-man tag match. That's the whole Dangerous Alliance in two matches, which then, of course, takes the whole of the, the, the sort of main event or top of the card good guys into two matches. And it's the same when we get to uh, the pay-per-view Wrestle War in 1992. We have a, a, a War Games match there between the Dangerous Alliance and Sting's squadron. Those matches involving the top good guys and the top heels are fantastic, but it doesn't leave much going down the card. Yeah. So the rest of the card, the, 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 you know, the undercard and so on is weakened greatly because guys like Zabisco, for example, in 1992, Zabisco is not going to be main eventing pay-per-views for you unless he's, unless he's part of this war games match or whatever with the dangerous, he, he is a mid card guy, but he's very good at what he does. The same can be said of our uh, of our Anderson and Bob Eaton. They're not necessarily going to be main eventing the pay per views for you, but they're going to be in the mid card defending the tag titles and so on. Which then means the likes of Wyndham and Rhodes or Steamboat and Rhodes would battle Arn, and and you get another good quality match lower down the card. But it's almost like you're putting all your eggs in one basket at the top end of the show. So that's why in the under undercard that the rest of the show is, shall we say, talent not quite as as good potentially as what you see at the top. You're, t- you're taking 10 guys who you could fill three quarters of a show with and putting them in two matches or even one match with regards to the war games, but you've still got the rest of the TV time to fill. So you end up with stuff like big Josh PN news and so on. That's just my personal opinion. Anyway, no, it makes a lot of sense, mate. It really does. Especially when you look at some of the matches on this card alone. And then, um, yeah, definitely. Yeah, okay, good stuff. Um, I mean, this match between the Freebirds and Big Josh and Brad Armstrong, there's not much really to cover. It's over very quickly. Uh, we have uh, Big Josh at one stage slips when he tries to climb the ropes, but then tries to pass it off as he meant to do it, which made me laugh. <laughs> uh, there's a clunky-looking, messed-up Irish whip at one point, and then Jimmy Garvin and Big Josh bump into each other in a, the most weird, odd, comical way. 
before the referee gets distracted, we get a double DDT from the three birds for them to win the match. And rightfully so, they should be winning the match. Even oh, in 92, yeah. they should be going over the likes of Big Josh and so on. Uh, that takes us to our last singles match of the evening, but not before we have the Steiners catching up with Eric Bischoff. And the Steiners are cutting a promo, basically warning Arn Anderson and Bobby Eaton, they're coming for them. They want their tag titles back. Night, this was good. Yeah, I was going to say that uh, on the microphone, it's probably not the Steiners' strong points. I mean, I love Scott Steiner cutting promos and so on, but I don't really, especially in this era, and when they go to the WWF in 93 as well, I, I don't really get the impression they're massively comfy at this time in their career cutting promos. But I thought this worked very well. Yeah, definitely. Any time you can get Alice Cooper into a wrestling promo, it's always a win. <laughs> yeah, indeed. <laughs> As I said, that, take, that takes us to our final singles match of the evening. And it's a squash match. It's over in seconds. We have the aforementioned Tommy Rich, who won the NWA world title way back in 1980 or 81, something like that. And he is facing Kevin Nash, or here in the debuting guise of Vinny Vegas. And as Vinny Vegas comes to the ring in his suit, he talk, you know, he's obviously got this gambling gimmick, this casino gimmick, mafia-esque style, I guess. The commentators are doing a great deal to push the move the snake eyes, which is what we get. We we effectively get a little bit of action, then the snake eyes, and it's over. The snake eyes here looked like shit. Yeah, uh, but the commentators, <laughs> the commentators still did their best to push push the move, and then we get a replay, and it looked even worse from the replay. And I'm thinking, is nobody watching these replays before you press play? Because it, the move looked like crap, but you can kind of get away with that because of where where the yeah. camera angle was and so on. So they show a, a replay of a better camera angle, which makes it look even worse. Yeah. Definitely. Um, this I've, I've ma- I made a note of this. This was hilarious. That um, before the match began, the ring announcer said the following contest is scheduled for fifteen minutes, and the match lasted fifty six seconds. <laughs> oh but, man! But on a serious note, I think charisma was just oozing off of Kevin Nash, Vinny Vegas. Here, he had a lot of. Um, a lot of great facials in this match, I would say. Um, his, his character was his character work was on point, I would say. Yeah, yeah, very true. I mean, we've got a question about Kevin Nash that we'll come to shortly because uh, this bonus episode, we asked people to chuck us any random questions forward. So we got a few about WCW and wrestling in general, which we'll come to at the end of the show, Danny. But yeah, I agree. The 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 charisma and so on. He's not he's not quite there yet. It's not the yeah. level of of how cool Kevin Nash became. But you can see there's something there, at least. Yeah, you can definitely see he's going to be a star. And it's a lot better than the um, Oz character, isn't it? (laughs) Yeah, totally. (laughs) Bloody Oz, why? Oh, dear. (laughs) We then get uh, what is, in my opinion, the promo of the evening, when Paulie Dangerously, or Paul Heyman, as we know him now, is talking to Eric Bischoff. And he's basically running through all of the guys that are going to be facing his Dangerous Alliance uh, members. Saying oh, Wyndham could get hurt, Rhodes could get hurt, we could embarrass Steamboat in front of his kids, and all this sort of stuff. And it's just such a great promo. And uh, he guarantees injury or a beatdown to one or maybe more of your heroes. We've got two matches left. 
take a gamble who it's going to be, he says. I thought that was very interesting. That's very cool. It's like he, he's cut similar promos today. He would say something like that um, in modern times as well. I think that's really, really cool. Mm. Yes. Yes, indeed. Uh, our next match then is, like I said, it, this is where we get into the Dangerous Alliance stuff and all the, the top talent is very much featured in these two matches here. The first contest to feature Dangerous Alliance members is a six-man tag, and we have the tag team champions, uh, the team of Arn Anderson and beautiful Bobby Eaton. They are teaming with Dangerous Alliance um, sort of colleague, I guess, Larry Zabisco, and they're facing the always amazing Barry Windham, Dustin Rhodes, and Ron Simmons, pre-world title Ron Simmons here. Now, there is some real talent in this ring, Danny, isn't there? Yeah, big time, big names future hall of famers um yeah really 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 cool list of names but to me this match is i think this you may disagree but i think this match for me is is the match of the night and it just it, go, it starts at a very good pace and just keeps going there's no i suppose it's easier to do when there's uh, six men involved with the tags in and out and so on but there's no real lull in the action either mm. um we get some some brilliant moments early on Barry Windham, no sells a superplex, but doesn't look like a complete prick like Hogan. When he does it, Windham yeah. somehow manages to still make it work. And then he starts throwing these really impressive lariats where he kind of half jumps as he hits them. It's Windham looks spectacular right from the off. All six yeah. men are in the ring brawling. And we end up with a spot where basically every, every, every face puts a figure four on a heel at the same time, Danny. I loved that spot. Um, I made a note of that saying that just made me laugh. But um, yeah, yeah, really cool. Uh, Ron Simmons, whose whole character at this stage is based upon his power, and rightfully so, the guy is incredible. He has a double wrist lock applied to him by Arn Anderson and Larry Zabisco, but manages to overpower them both. And it mm. didn't look comical or hammy. It looked like a legit powerhouse overpowering two heels, and it just yeah. worked. And you believed it as well. I mean, that's excellent, excellent point. Yeah. Uh, Dustin Rhodes throws um, Bobby Eaton over the top rope and then runs and jumps over the top rope himself to the ramp of a flying clothesline. That was spectacular. Uh, it does lead, however, to the heels kind of taking control for a short period when Rhodes is hit by Paul Heyman's incredibly large early 90s mobile phone. It must be like genuinely getting hit by a brick. <laughs> what did you think of that spot there when the heels kind of took control, Danny? I really enjoyed that, especially that uh, phone spot, because um, I mean, if you get hit with that, it's just like you might as well get hit with cement. What? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I and mean, the heels, like I said, they do take control on Rhodes mm. for a little while. Uh, we get to see the Aaron Anderson Spinebuster and DDT always looks fantastic. And the crowd are just white hot at this point, aren't they? Yeah, definitely. I think they were ready for this match, especially following the two previous uh, kind of squash matches. <laughs> mm, yes. Um, Bobby Eaton hits a top rope elbow drop, which looked just fucking perfect. It looked awesome. Uh, a move like that. I mean, I'm a big fan of Shawn Michaels, as people are fully aware. And I think Shawn Michaels has got the best top rope elbow drop I've ever seen. Bobby yeah. Eaton's here is on par with it. It is so good. Really cool. Uh, then we get a hot tag to Barry Windham eventually. And it all kind of breaks down. It's a bit of a mess. Bobby Eaton jumps off the top rope 
And Eaton, sorry, Wyndham catches him with the taped hand that was broken by Larry Zabisco and the rest of the Dangerous Alliance a few weeks previously and gets the win with that. What did you think of the match in general, Danny, and the finish? All action. Um, Jim Ross described this uh, match as an all-star game and he was dead on. Um, the finish really, really caught me off guard because you never really see a one punch and then finish. And it, I thought that was really cool, um, especially with Wyndham just like ca- catching him off guard as he's flying to him. He just that it gives more impact, doesn't it? It's like bang, and then it's very believable finish. That uh, that's the key. That's the key for me. Mm. It was believable, and I think everything that these guys do is believable and for me yeah as, as a wrestling fan that's what i want to see definitely mate i would fully agree that this was the best match of the night after the match as well we get a promo from Wyndham, and he's talking about coming after the dangerous alliance and so on whilst he's taking off the tape and the, the protective uh, guard and so on from the hands that effectively won him the match and it is you know taped up with big um supports and casings and so on so you can understand you know, in this promo after the contest as to why that punch did win the match with one hit. Yeah. yeah, and he was so fired up as well. Yes, indeed. Yes, indeed. That takes us then to our main event of the evening. We are joined by Jesse the Body Ventura on commentary. And we have the team from the Dangerous Alliance of your United States champion, Ravishing Rick Rude, and your world television champion, stunning Steve Austin. And they are facing Ricky the Dragon Steamboat and Sting. And the crowd again go batshit crazy for Sting, don't they? Yeah, absolutely. They're just on fire here. I mean, they love Sting. Yeah, it's great stuff. Uh, Steamboat starts the match very fast. Lots of kicks, chops, and most importantly for me, pin attempts he's trying to win the match because let's remember it's a sporting contest you want to try and win it's not about just getting your shit in yeah definitely that's what i wrote as well as like yes those quick pins are very believable Mm. um we have some great heel stuff from rude who is attempt he tries to tempt sting into the ring so steamboat tags into a big pop and then rude runs off to his own corner carrying with 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 austin i thought that was really good bad guy stuff danny yeah, definitely. And I also wrote down, um, I love that Sting did Rick Rude's uh, taunt. Um, we call it taunt, you know, that um, the hips gesturing. I thought that yes. was really funny. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Steamboat had a go, but he couldn't quite get it right, could he? No, no. <laughs> <laughs> no uh, have you ever tried that? <laughs> what, dancing like that? Yeah. Maybe. <laughs> <laughs> I'll just say, it, it probably takes a lot of practice because I can't pull it off either. <laughs> Uh, uh, we see a, a the, the iconic now, I suppose, thanks to the Twitter handle online, uh, Rick Rude selling a, a couple of atomic drops, and it is yes. just absolutely fantastic. Um, a, clamel, a, a camel clutch by Sting with the partners swapping over. So when the referee was distracted, Sting and Steamboat would swap places with no tag. Quite a heel tactic, but the mm. baby faces uh, were getting big reactions when they were doing it. So that was quite interesting as well, Danny. Yeah, definitely. I like that spot. Mm. And then we get uh, the, the heels in control for a while. They're working over Sting. A couple more tag exchanges. Then Sting hits a crossbody from the top onto Steamboat, onto Austin. And as 
Ventura throughout the whole match has been making a point of who is the legal man, who is not the legal man, referee get mm-hmm. control and so on. The referee counts the pinfall anyway when, when Austin is being pinned by both opponents at the same time. <laughs> it, it was a weird finish, wasn't it? <laughs> it was very strange. But the crowd didn't seem to mind. Their boys weren't. They love Sting. Everyone's going mental. It was it was just a great atmosphere coming out, coming out of my television towards me, Danny. Yeah, the same with me. And I was so glad that Jesse Ventura was on the call for this. Mm, yeah, so you enjoyed Ventura on commentary then? Absolutely, yeah. I've seen a few bits from the WWF when he was commentating with Vince McMahon. And um, I remember he returned in 2009 to commentate with Vince McMahon. And he, he just had great chemistry. But him with Jim Ross, I think, has to take the, the cake because he is brilliant with Jim Ross. See, Ventura was the commentator on SummerSlam 89 with Tony Schiavone. And that's one of mm. the first wrestling events I ever watched. So to me, I've got a bit of a soft spot for the whole Schiavone-Ventura uh, team, announced team, I guess. Because it just yeah. takes me back to watching that match there and how much Ventura hated Hogan was awesome. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah. After the match, uh, Steamboat takes a couple of rude awakenings, is whipped with the belt, and this is the beatdown that was previously mentioned by Heyman as uh, Steamboat takes a bit of an ass kicking. Yeah, it, it, it was like, um, that's what I wrote, it's like wild brawl just to end. Uh, it keeps you hooked, doesn't it? It's like, yeah, what's going to happen next? Mm. Indeed, indeed. But that was the end of the show. So uh, before we get to our listeners' questions, Danny, we need to rate it as we always do. Our woos and our O brothers and our overall summary, I guess. Brother, 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 brothers, brother. Brother. Do you want to go first or second, my friend? I'll go second this week, sir. Okay, no problem. I will start with my O brother, PN News. Quite straightforward. What is your negative point? What is your old brother? It definitely has to be. I did write down Van Hammer, but talking through this with you, it probably has lessened up to that. And it has to be, I've changed it to the how quick um, the Freebirds versus Big Josh and Brad Armstrong match was. Mm. Yeah. Okay. Fair enough. At my woo, my plus point, my highlight is the Dangerous Alliance. They were involved in the best two matches of the night. And just such a collection of talent. Heyman cutting the promos. It's just all round fantastic stuff. I wish they were around for longer. Yeah. Your woo, Danny? It has to be Van Hammer getting pinned in the mud because I really enjoyed (laughs) (laughs) seeing him getting pinned as being humiliated at the same time. (laughs) Yeah, I get you. I get you. Uh, Okay. Hit, miss or middling overall, my friend? I'm going with middle one for this side because um, there were some great matches on this. I say some great matches. There was two. <laughs> but the characters <laughs> stood out for me more than anything. And it really did make me want to go back and see stars like PN News and uh, Vinnie Vegas to see what they got up to around this era. So, yeah, it was yeah, middle enough. for me. How about you, mate? Uh, for me, it's uh, yeah, probably middle, very top end. I was toying with hit, but yeah, a top end middle is probably a fair shape because the, the top end of the card was superb, but there was also some dross on there as well. But mm. anytime I get to look at Dangerous Alliance era uh, and Wyndham doing his thing, you know, and Sting in this guy's, I love it, mate. I love it. That's cool, mate. It's cool. 
So before we depart, let's jump to Twitter and go through a couple of questions we have in had in on this bonus episode from our listeners, uh, starting with Chris Bellis at Real Chris Bellis on Twitter. Uh, he says, inspired by the image, which is of Vinny Vegas, uh, sort of DVD front cover, I suppose. Inspired by the image, really. But I feel, for the most part, that Kevin Nash essentially brought the Vinny Vegas character wholesale to the WWF. Obviously, there were tweaks involved, but could Nash have enjoyed the same level of success in WCW at the time had he stayed? What are your thoughts on that, Danny? Hmm. Because it's a hard one, because you listen to so many Kevin Nash shoot interviews, and he just basically says, um, he no, because like the politics behind the scenes and it was he going to get pushed or wasn't he going to get pushed? Um, I think if there was different bookers, then possibly, yeah. But I think nobody booked Kevin Nash as better than Vince McMahon did in uh, the mid-90s. How about you, mate? I think a huge part of Kevin Nash's uh, success in the wrestling business, a huge part of Kevin Nash's kind of rise to main event prominence with world titles and so on, stems from his association with Shawn Michaels. Mm. Shawn Michaels in 93, when Kevin Nash jumped ship and joined as Diesel, took Kevin Nash on as his bodyguard. And then we had the 94 Rumble, where Nash eliminated, I think it was seven people in a row, and, and people were cheering his name. He then entered into a feud with Michaels. Uh, and his association with Shawn Michaels for the, those few years, I think, really elevated Nash. With regards to the, the gimmick of Vinny Vegas, there is similarities there between Vegas and early Diesel. I think Vinny Vegas is a little bit more animated, a little bit more cartoony in a way, whereas Diesel was a lot more sort of look uh, look sinister in the background, potentially, because Sean was the star of that early of that early team. But the, the tag team run with Sean going on to win the world title when Sean held the IC title, the eventual split and feud. I mean, they main evented WrestleMania together. I don't think Nash gets to where he arrived without being associated with Shawn Michaels looking at that particular couple of years of his career. Yeah. Everything that made Nash a star as Diesel kind of had Shawn Michaels' fingerprints on it as well. I think without Shawn there, I suppose maybe uh, as a big part of those stories, the team and then ultimately the rivalry, I don't think it really happens in as well. And then when, you know, by the time he and Scott Hall leave and head back to WCW, their main event guys, you know, they're, they're top guys in the WWF. If they're not top guys in the WWF in 95 and 96, their arrival in WCW as the NWO doesn't mean as much. Yeah. So I, I think I can understand there are similarities to be drawn, I guess, between the Vinny Vegas character and the Diesel character to a degree with certain aspects. But I think if Nash stayed in WCW, didn't have the run with Sean as a partner and an opponent, didn't have the world title run and the working with Brett and The Undertaker, main eventing WrestleManias and so on, he doesn't come back to WCW as big a, big of a deal. So I think yeah. him leaving and working with Michaels is kind of the catalyst for a lot of that. Yeah, definitely, mate. I would agree with that. A couple of these may be tricky 
uh, for you, Danny, well, and for me as well, uh, with maybe a sort of lack of knowledge of this era of WCW. Uh, one question we have here is from Andy Daberts or at Burtz Da on Twitter. And they ask, which enhancement talent of that era was your fave? And why was it Bob Cook? Now, <laughs> are you aware of Bob Cook? I've heard his name brought up a couple of times, but I don't know too much about him. But um, mm. in terms of like a jabroni uh, type wrestler, yeah, I heard he's very well known. See, enhancement talents, a lot of names don't really stick to my mind, to be fair. And that's a terrible thing for me to think or, 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 or have in my head, but it's just kind of the way it is. My favourite enhancement talent of all time is Randy Hogan. And that's purely because I'm biased because you know, I, I consider him a mate and he, he yeah. with me and we message quite regularly and, you know, and he's been on the show a few times and all that sort of stuff. Uh, and whenever I've had interactions with him, whether it was for podcasting or just messaging back and forth on a personal level, one of the nicest guys I've ever spoken to, the guy is fantastic. So my favorite enhancement talent of all time would be, I know that's not the exact question Andy asked, but it would be Randy Hogan, Danny. Yeah. No, mine would be um, uh, Barry Horowitz because he <laughs> was everywhere, yeah. wasn't he? <laughs> yeah, great shite, great shite. Uh, Dan Griffin, at Dan Griffin at 21 on Twitter, he asks, if you could change the result of one match on this card, what would it be and why? Ooh, that's a hard one, but it would, it would definitely have to be... Um... Actually, that is... Ooh. Because pretty much, to me, no match really, nobody really went over that I didn't want to go over, apart mm. from, it's a hard one. What would you think, mate? I, I agree. I think the way this card is booked is pretty much spot on for what they're trying to achieve. Mm. So there's not much you could change. If I had to pick one, I would potentially have Rude and Austin going over Steamboat and Sting. Hmm. Uh, because in in the coming months we're going to have the scenario of the war games match at wrestle war 92 where sting's squadron ultimately overcomes the dangerous alliance once and for all and i think maybe it would have worked if the heels were going sort of forward into more of 92 the next few months on a real role rather than taking losses on television and so on. But I'm being, I'm being really nitpicky with that. It's not a big deal to me. It's just, if I had to pick one, that would potentially be the one I would go with. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I was thinking Van Hammer, Cactus Jack, but it ended perfectly with Hammer getting pinned in, in dirt. Mm. <laughs> you love that, don't you? <laughs> yeah, definitely. It might be my favorite finish to a wrestling match uh, this week. <laughs> Brilliant. <laughs> Uh, Dan's brother Cam at CamGriff92 on Twitter. He asks, if WCW were to have won the Monday Night Wars, who would have been a top star from current wrestling promotions within the franchise? So I suppose if he's talking if the if WCW was still in existence today, as opposed to the WWF, who would be the top guys there? And I think if you look at if you look at the current wrestling landscape. AEW has uh, okay. It's it's very much New Japan, and I suppose the the internet darlings are involved as well, and a certain wrestling style there. But there's also quite a few throwbacks to the likes of Jim Crockett Promotions and WCW and so on. I think we probably end up with some form of that kind of roster, maybe. Yeah, yeah, definitely could see that. I mean, there's a lot of um, that or the 
probably later years of TNA. Mm, yeah. Yeah, that's a good shite. I, I don't... To me, WCW going out of business in 2001, you obviously had certain talents that wouldn't go out to work because they could sit at home on their big contracts. Yeah. Other talents did. I've, I've, if WCW stayed in business and the WWF went out of business, looking back to 2001... You don't lose the likes of Hogan, Goldberg, uh, and all these guys who are on the big time Warner contract because they would still be expected to turn up to work because they're still being paid. So you would have that aspect. And then your guys, your top guys from the WWF would eventually be signed by WCW. So the likes of Austin and The Rock and so on would eventually work for Turner and Bischoff and all the others on that side of the fence. Yeah. Um, TNA could maybe then uh, TNA would eventually spring up, but in some form or another, I mean, Jarrett would still be associated with WCW, so it wouldn't be him doing it, but a secondary company would eventually spring up because as soon as a company goes out of business, we see it with ECW, especially when a company goes out of business, it almost creates a little vacuum and other companies pop in there trying to fill that gap in the market. If WWF went out of business in a similar way to WCW in 2001, another company would emerge in the same way TNA did to try and take that number two spot. So I yeah. think it just literally depends on how much money the, the secondary company would have to what stars they could attract and to what stars were not already signed with WCW, which would then influence television going forward 20 odd years to what we have now. Yeah. No, that's brilliantly said, mate, because we had, um, after WCW did close down, we had XWF and WWA, and some of them um, did look promising, but weren't very long-lasting. I mean, I don't think one lasted over three years, just just TNA. Yeah, still going now, obviously, as Impact Wrestling, so yeah. Yeah, I mean, there, there's a shocking side to that. As somebody revealed on uh, Twitter, they said TNA has been around longer than WCW ever has. And when you think I'm, about I'm just, it, I'm just going to pretend I didn't hear that. <laughs> <laughs> when you think about it, as depressing as that is, it's true. Yeah, I mean, yeah. I, mean, I got some great memories from TNA, though, mate. I got some, yeah, you know, some of that sort of six sides, uh, you know, the, the six sided ring, and when it was mm. on Bravo and Challenge, I got some great memories watching those events with my wife and that. So the the sad thing is. I, as TNA has been around 20 years now, it has not made the same impact WCW has. I would even go to say it hasn't even made half as um, impact as WCW has made. I mean, WCW is still be is still a very money-making brand today because WWE is still making money off of it. Mm. Yeah, that's a really interesting way of looking at it, I suppose. Yeah, you're right. Mm. Obviously, to me, the cream always rises to the top. So... Yeah, here we are 20 odd years later. If WCW had won the Monday Night Wars, the top guys in the business, I would imagine, would still probably be the top guys in the business. Um, uh, you know, obviously, you get some that were inspired by WWF television that wouldn't be around anymore. Yeah. But the top guys would, to me, still effectively be top guys. Uh, also, you get, the, you get the idea of maybe you'd have, you'd have the likes of Kenny Omega potentially wearing the big gold belt. That'd be a sight. Mm. Yeah, that would be. But an important question, would DDP still be facing Johnny B. Bad? Yes, of course, because you, <laughs> how else How else do you open a pay-per-view? There's no other way. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, we have a question here from Morty, at MortyJR5 on Twitter. And Danny, I'm, this is the sort of question that absolutely stumps me every single time. 
So I don't know how much help you can be to me with this. WCW Avengers. Who would play the following from WCW? Captain America, Hulk, Iron Man, Nick Fury, Hawkeye, Thor, Black Widow. Do you watch the Do you watch the Avengers movies, the Marvel or DC world? I have not seen one single second of the Avengers no, or the me, DC mate. universe or anything like that. Um, that's stumped me as well. I did have a think about it though. Okay. As far as I got, who would play Hulk? I mean, it would have to be Hulk Hogan, wouldn't it? <laughs> <laughs> okay. Uh, I suppose Captain America. You'd probably be looking at Surfer Sting or maybe Hacksaw yeah. Jim Duggan with his USA chance. But I think, yes. Sur- I think Surfer Sting would be up there. Uh, Nick Fury. I don't even know who that is. No, I've no idea. <laughs> Iron Man. Obviously, Iron Man had a lot of money, didn't he? Yeah. So, you know, who who played a gimmick in WCW where they were incredibly rich? Ted DiBiase. Oh, yeah, that's true. DiBiase was there, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Or I would say Iron Man could be Lex Luger because he did have um, sort of metal in his arm, didn't he? <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah, good shite. Uh, Hawkeye? Who is Hawkeye? Oof. I'm assuming just based on that name, maybe someone who flies, so maybe a Rey Mysterio or a Kidman or something. Okay. i got no idea who Hawkeye is. No. <laughs> <laughs> uh, just to be irritating for my wife, because she loves this individual, um, they're the character Thor. We're going to go with Van Hammer. And <laughs> yes. <laughs> Black Widow. Now that is a lady, isn't it? Is that I character so. a lady? I only know of the spider of Black Widow. <laughs> mm. So if it's WCW and we're looking at ladies, I think we have to go with Medusa, don't we? Because there isn't anyone else. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Or Sherry Martel. Oh, yeah. Good shout, actually. And she normally worked as a heel as well. And Black Widow mm. sounds like a heel. So that, yeah. Okay. So, yeah. So that would work. I hope we yeah. answered that okay for you, Morty. I mean, I'm not going to lie. It's not my wheelhouse at all. Perhaps it's the sort of thing I should mind. ask. I could sit down and ask Sharon later on because she loves all yeah. the Marvel DC films and get her thoughts. But yeah. yeah. <laughs> okay. Uh, we have one last question and this is a biggie. We have it from uh, Joshua Goodwin at Joshua Goodwin PW on Twitter. The other half of the hosting duo from NXT rise and fall, where we look at NXT show by show by show in a similar format to the way we do with WCW and Nitro Nights here. So if you enjoyed this format, by all means check out NXT rise and fall on the SJP world media network as well. Out every Monday morning, Joshua asks if you guys could do over one booking decision from history, what would it be? Bloody hell. That, I did have a deep think about this one. And it would have to be WCW Uncensored 2000. We're, I mean, we're going to skip ahead. We're going to eventually cover this in about five years' time. WCW um, Uncensored 2000, the main event was supposed to be Sid Vicious versus Jeff Jarrett. But Hulk Hogan got it changed to Ric Flair versus Hulk Hogan. Um this uh this always bugged me because i watched this very very young age um and i was like what sid vicious on a cover i was a big sid vicious fan why isn't he in the main event why is he just in the semi-main event defending the world championship so i would have swapped those two matches around and had um yeah just had the sid vicious in the main event okay fair enough uh for me it's more looking at repercussions of, mm. of things 
I would be very intrigued to again it's the sort of it's the sort of debate you have where you can never really have a definitive answer because it's you're never going to know but I would I would look at the repercussions of certain events and I, I, I would need to sit down and have a, a proper real think about this go in depth into loads of different stuff and it's to me it's a whole different podcast on its own this this is a, yeah. a long a long conversation but I would look at the first one that popped in my head was Montreal Mm. where they screwed Bret Hart. Well, Bret screwed Bret. I know it's going to upset some people, but it, it is weird. <laughs> and I just wonder, because the big noise coming from Bret Hart, his camp, his family, his management, and all that, was he doesn't want to drop the belt in Montreal. He doesn't want to drop the belt that night at Survivor Series. So he is assuring Vince McMahon and everyone else he will turn up on Raw the following night, do the right thing, and vacate the championship, or however they wanted to do it. I wonder if that would have happened. Mm. So if the match didn't end the way it did, whether it ended in like the double DQ or the, the sort of schmozzy finish they, they told Brett was going to be the scenario before the uh, the famous moment with the sharpshooter, I wonder if Brett was true to his word and would have turned up on Raw and done what he, what he said he was going to do, because at that point he would have been out of contract and so on. And the fallout from that, I would be very intrigued to know, because obviously that, that night changed wrestling yeah that from there we get brett leaving the wwf we get degeneration x really taking off we get the whole attitude era starting with the mr mcmahon character coming from this incident which then leads to the austin mcmahon feud and and so on to me that moment is a real important occasion that 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 is one of the most important nights in professional wrestling not because of what happened but the aftermath I would be intrigued to know what would happen if the the finish was the other way. Yeah. I mean, that's a great shout. I mean, as you're saying that, I was just thinking maybe Starcade 99 where um, Bret Hart didn't get kicked in the head and have his career ruined by Goldberg. Um, yeah. That's, that's another great shout. Or, um, yeah, there's so many, aren't there? Starcade 98 is another one. You know, Goldberg's 170-plus winning streak ended by Kevin Nash. You know, Nash at the time, I believe, was booking as we came to the end of 98 going into 99, I think. Or at least he had a say. Uh, And Nash wins the world title by, you know, ending Goldberg's streak and effectively killing the Golden Goose. Would Mm. WCW have still been in business if they went into 99 with this undefeated monster as their champion in Bill Goldberg? Again, it's not necessarily what happened that night. It's the ripple effect afterwards that that intrigues me. Yes. And actually, as you're saying, ripple effects, now all of these finishes are coming to my mind. Uh, And you say Starcade. I mean, Starcade, 97, 98 to 99, the main events, I mean, yeah, the... It's kind of, but I think something worse than that is the Starcade 94 main event. Maybe that could have been changed. And what was that again? Remind me. Uh, Hulk Hogan versus Brutus the Barber Beefcake. Oh. Yes. Yeah. The one that you threw into the Hall of Lame a couple of weeks ago that. on Chain Wrestling. <laughs> maybe, yes. maybe all of that, all of this could have been avoided if that, if. Brutus Beefcake wasn't in the main event of Starcade. 
you know what? We've been recording for an hour and 20-ish minutes. I thought we were going to get for a whole episode without mentioning that absolute jackass. <laughs> but no, there's our there's our weekly uh, Brutus Beefcake mention. Bloody hell. On that note, Danny, on that note, do you want to let everybody know whereabouts they can find you on Twitter, my friend? Yep, you can find me on Twitter at Scottish Struggle You can hear me on One Man's Meat podcast with the great Chris Bellis. You can hear me on Back When with the great Ty Peters. And you can hear me here next week with the great Cy Powell. Oh, you're very kind. You're very kind. Uh, you can hear me all over the place on SJP World Media, looking at Doctor Who, looking at Quantum Leap, looking at NXT. We have Chain Wrestling live on a Monday night. The podcast comes out on a Wednesday. And obviously we have Nitro Nights itself out every Thursday via SJP World Media. I hope everyone has enjoyed this bonus episode that we are putting out by way of apology for being late a couple of weeks ago. I hope this has been a nice little uh, sidestep from our current Nitro run in 1996. And, you know, it's been interesting talking some wrestling that maybe we don't look back on enough, I guess. Mm. Uh, you can follow the network on Twitter and Facebook at SJP World Media. Make sure you're following all over the place there and all over the place on your podcast platforms and providers. Make sure you subscribe to the YouTube, give the little bell a tick or whatever it is you have to do there to know whenever Chain Wrestling or anyone else happens to go live. Uh, but most importantly, you can follow this show at nitro underscore nights on facebook and twitter that's at nitro underscore nights danny we'll get back to 1996 then my friend shall we because scott hall turns up soon yeah definitely we'll see what happens <laughs> exactly we will speak to you all again this coming and every thursday via sjp world media danny it's been a blast bud take care mate and to everyone else as always thank you for listening Talking about-